Before we would open the word, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, where else can we go but unto thee? Because you have the words of everlasting life. And as we have sung about those words, as we will now open from the scriptures and read and meditate there, we pray, Lord, for a rich measure of your presence to be with us and that we can be inspired to follow you, to worship you with all our heart and soul, to learn more, to be challenged on how to live as children of God. We pray, Lord, for inspiration for myself in expounding and preaching on the word. As you know, the weakness of the frailness of flesh, but we know that your spirit is much greater than our weakness. So we count on that in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. We are still in Daniel chapter 1 in our study of Daniel. There's so many nuances uh, in the first chapter. Hopefully it doesn't feel like to you that we're reading the same chapter over and over again for a few messages in a row. Um, There's a different theme each time. Uh, So far we looked at the theme of captivity last time, and today we'll look at the theme of no compromise. This is probably the more common theme that is commonly drawn from this chapter. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God." And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave names, For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? 
Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat, that's vegetables primarily, and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenances of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter, that means well-nourished, in flesh, than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should, that he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even until the first year of the king of Cyrus. This concludes chapter 1 in the book of Daniel. Daniel and his three friends found themselves in a situation I imagine they never dreamed of, as they were taken captive into a strange land, a land of idolatry. In a sense, they were taken as uh, hostages, not unusual for conquering lands to do that. And they had, uh, the Babylonians had an indoctrination plan to uh, indoctrinate them, among others that were with them, these nobility, uh, to then typically send them back into their homeland in order to help Babylon rule their own land. These Chaldeans, they were the upper class part of the Babylonians. And in a sense, you could see these were people, uh, if we would maybe translate it into our time, of what they would be teaching these uh, youths. They would be teaching them political science, uh, economics, um, sociology, um, various things like that, such that they would become policy advisors, uh, think tanks, um, professors, educators, whatever. You think that this is the, the nobility or the, 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 the brains behind the ruling of the kingdom. And they would integrate them into this brain power, so to speak. And so part of this, of course, was a, a very deliberate indoctrination plan uh, that would 
um, change their identity, and we'll talk about the, this theme of identity in a future message. We'll, we'll dwell on that part of it much more. But uh, a part of this began then, of course, with the food that they would eat. And we see here that Daniel, in, it singles Daniel out here, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Daniel and his four friends, we don't know if others were, uh, how they responded. Um, the book just focuses on Daniel primarily and his three friends. Had decisions to make as they found themselves immersed in an anti-God culture and recognizing that they were the target of an indoctrination plan that would strip them of their Jehovah-given identity that uh, was passed on to them for thousands of years. Um, And that formed everything about them, including the food that they were to eat and not to eat as part of the Levitical law. God had said certain things were clean, certain things were unclean. And uh, it seems that this was a point at which Daniel decided, I'm going to begin at this point here of resisting their indoctrination plan. We see that Daniel had a plan here in the sense that, I think this is significant, Daniel purposed in his heart. It began with a measure of resolve. What does this mean here? He purposed in his heart. Resolve is another word. He committed, he was determined, he made up his mind that he was not going to defile himself. Uh, Defile would mean to not stain himself, to pollute himself, to corrupt himself, um, to make concessions might be another uh, area as we think about in terms of compromise. Is he going to compromise on his principles of what he was taught? This food is unclean. This food he, he's not going to take. Is he, is he going to take this one step of compromise? If he would have, I'm sure all of us could understand. He's in a foreign land. He doesn't have control over his circumstances. He doesn't have control over the, his food sources. Um, it would be very understandable if he would have uh, given in uh, to this and said, there's bigger battles to fight. I'll save my um, negotiation strategies for things that are of greater value. And I don't think anybody, any of us would have faulted him for that, that strategy. But nevertheless, he decided, and it seems that he was maybe the instigator or the leader among these four, um, they were all together in it, but the Bible describes uh, Daniel somewhat taking the lead uh, in this area of no compromise. A few words about compromise. You know, usually we describe compromise in terms of negative, as in compromise is a bad thing to do. And it is, of course, when it comes to God's standards, God's moral values, the way God has designed things to operate. If we depart from that, that's compromise, and that's bad. But compromise in the English language is also used in uh, relational terms of where you work things out together. You have two differences of opinion of how to do a job, and one thinks this way is better, and the other person thinks that way is better, 
but yet the job requires two people to work together, well, they're going to need to compromise on their ideals in order to work together and get the job done. Uh, the marriage relationship, many dynamics of daily living um, requires compromise, give and take. Um, these are. This is not negative. This is not a bad thing. This is how we need to function in life. But when it comes to God's principles, his truth, his moral truth, his moral values, and how he's designed things to operate, compromise is a bad thing. And this is how Daniel viewed his situation here. And he was going to begin and make a clear stand right at the beginning of no compromise in areas here. In our time, we would certainly look at it in terms of the, the New Testament doesn't make um, dietary um, um, diet a moral issue. Uh, and so we have the freedom as New Testament believers to eat the things that are before us or the things that we desire to eat. Certain things may have greater health benefits or, or health risks, certainly, and we can make decisions based on that. But there's no uh, moral or disobedience in, in that sense that, that we have. So this wouldn't be a battleground today uh, for us. Unless, of course, it involved, it does say, with the wine which he drank. So we would have to certainly be careful about uh, drinking alcohol. Such as we always, such that we always remain of sober and clear mind. But getting back to here, how in verse eight, as Daniel purposed in his heart, and it singles him out as a leader, in a group of friends, a group of acquaintances, there is always somebody, at least one person, that stands out somewhat as a leader. There's a bit of a, of an order there and how in relationships that get somewhat established that who is sort of the most dominant as a leader and the other ones tend to somewhat follow or wait for the leader to make a certain move. It looks like maybe uh, this role naturally fell to Daniel. And so think about it in, in your dynamics. Uh, there's a number of uh, young people here, um, even uh, children, as you think about your friend group, maybe at school or in the neighborhood, um, uh, or even among your cousins and extended family and so forth, where do you fall in that? Are you an instigator in some things? Do people look up to you somewhat as a leader? And in how do you utilize that role? Because you have an important job there as an influencer and as a leader. Often among children um, and youths, it may be used in a negative way, as someone is an instigator and a leader towards mischief, doing things that it would be breaking the rules or things that are high-risk activities, uh, things that the parents warned you not to do or places not to go. There's going to be someone that's going to test that and maybe draw a following in, in doing so. And if you wouldn't be the one that instigates that, the rest of the group might be more cautious and not actually do that because they know that they're disobeying their parents um, or teacher or whatever the case may be. And so think about that. If, if there's someone here uh, tonight or listening online that you find yourself in that way, you're a leader, but you typically use that towards mischief, I encourage you to repent because God has much better uses for that quality. That leadership quality is good and that influence you can use for good. And so I encourage you, as Daniel did, use it in a way that influences people to follow the Lord and to do that which is right and good. That's how God wants you to do that. 
Uh, now, if you think of, if you're maybe not that leader, uh, main person in your particular group, uh, you may have another role um, in the sense that if the leader does use his influence or power or uh, whatever uh, dynamic relationship you would call that towards mischief, do you have the courage to be one of those that would stand and say, no, that is not a good idea? No, that would not honor God. No, that would not honor my parents or the teacher or or the person in authority in this situation. Uh, That's not a respectable thing to do, whatever it might be. Do you have the courage, maybe if you're not the leader that, uh, which is a good thing, that you're not the leader in the sense that you decided or are encouraging mischief, do you have the courage to stand up against that mischief and resist that? Do you have that purposed in your heart, as Daniel did? He purposed in your heart. There's a a prior decision made here before this moment when it becomes tested or when he needs to actually exercise it and confront somebody um, in in preceding this plan. If Daniel had very weak resolve, then it's very easily overturned, very easily persuaded otherwise. And we, we know that in ourselves, too. There are certain things that we may have very strong resolve on that we will not be moved. And hopefully those things that we have strong resolve on are things that are in alignment with God's values. You know, sometimes we may have strong resolve on something that God really doesn't care about. Um, and we may spend a lot of energy thinking this is something that's really important in life, and God really doesn't consider that a high priority. Uh, we would need to change our focus on having things that are God's values as high resolve for us to uh, maintain or to preserve or to, to spread uh, and influence others uh, towards the good. Do you have the courage in those kinds of say to say to this group of friends here, let's do something else? There's a risk, of course, in doing that, but it's a risk worth taking. Do you have that resolve? So if we look at what uh, he purposed in his heart to not partake of this rich diet uh, in this foreign land, let's look at diet and appetites in a different way here, not thinking in terms of food, but our bodies and our minds have appetites, and there are diets and, and food, shall we say, that is offered to satisfy those appetites. Uh, a big one these days, of course, is um, pleasure. There's, I, I don't know if there's ever been a time in the history of a, a society where there is more plentiful uh, options in which to pursue pleasure. It can be also in other areas of just indulgence of um, pleasure, indulgence of media. In a sense, it's rich food, but not, of course, physical food. As we think of the entertainment industry, how many hundreds, if not maybe thousands of channels can one uh, sign up for on a, a cable TV or a streaming service, or you may subscribe to multiple of them, and the sum of all that is just thousands and thousands of hours of content available to you at the touch of a button. Uh, and... Um, How much of an appetite do you have to consume as much as you can of that? It's just 
interesting stuff. It engages the mind. It's, it's uh, entertaining, maybe, and it's suspenseful, and, it, and whatever, whatever attracts your attention, whatever appetite you have for something, there is something there that caters to it and that will attempt to fill that appetite. Does that possibly, I challenge you, if that is an area of temptation for you that you have frequently succumbed to, consider, does that lead to spiritual laziness? Maybe at least a physical laziness, too, uh, if you're just always on the couch just pressing a few buttons uh, in order to change something that's on the screen in front of you. That's, uh, there's a physical laziness component to it, too. But much more dangerous is this element of spiritual laziness as you become lulled into whatever that content is and as it influences your mind. Uh, typically, of course, the, the, the diet of the culture is not a pro-God Culture does not support the biblical values, finds many ways to undermine it, to tear it down, and to infiltrate, just bombarding you with messages of lies that are contrary to what the Scripture says. And so we need to be careful in having this stance of uh, no compromise in allowing ourselves to be infiltrated with the messages of the culture that are against God. Input, output, um, what comes in must go out. Uh, there's a, a children's song like that that you can uh, probably recall. But it's if you have bad inputs or if you're undiscerning in inputs, it has an influence on your life. There is also even a lie in our culture that says, well, it doesn't matter what you take in. You can filter it out and you can still choose uh, to behave well and conduct yourself as a responsible citizen and, and, and so forth. Well, the Bible tells differently. He says what <clears throat> that we are to guard our hearts and the things that come in because it does influence what comes out. And so, therefore, we need to be um, vigilant in these kinds of things. There are many temptations to compromise our spiritual immune system. So there's, you know, of course, in this uh, season of a, a pandemic that's worldwide uh, so declared, there's, you, you hear this um, statement about those that have compromised immune systems, and we don't want to compromise our immune system. Well, think of that in terms of spiritual, your spiritual immune system needs to stay in top-notch working order in order to resist the, the influences of the culture that are always there for you to be able to recognize them. And so that in this spiritual battle, you are able to resist them and to fight them off, not only in terms of preserving yourself, that's in a sense a, a, a minimum, but also as believers and disciples of Jesus Christ, we are called to engage the culture and in a sense to fight back the lies that the culture would give us with the truth of the word of God. And we need to have a strong spiritual immune system in order to be able to do that effectively. So how serious are you about resisting the influences of the culture? Since much of that comes through media, we certainly encourage, as Brother Gary did, um, not just this past Sunday, but a week ago, um, about an internet filter that every household should have uh, uh, an effective filter, content filter on your internet so that you as the parent can protect against uh, evil influences coming in unawares or unintended 
or even intentionally, if sometimes youths will intentionally look for evil content, that you have something in place to prevent that from coming in. That's very important as a minimum. But beyond that, we have, we need to have, in a sense, filters on our hearts on what are our desires and what do we get entangled in and what uh, we are attracted with. And not only in terms of whether it's entertainment or the media and that sort of thing, but just think about other everyday life situations where there are temptations to compromise in the sense that where we may be drawn away from the values of, of the things that God values. So in one of those, of course, is the area of education. These men were uh, young youths, were um, immersed in education. And our youths today are immersed in education. Education is necessary to a certain degree. Uh, the, the Bible teaches, um, and God uh, designed us to desire to learn, and ner- learning is beneficial so education itself, of course, is not bad by any means. It's good. The more, the greater question is, what is the content of your education? What is the worldview behind the education that you are learning? Because typically it comes from a particular worldview. Um, the education systems don't just teach facts only. They teach it in context with a view. It, and it may be a view that... Um, acknowledges God, or it may be a view that rejects God. That has influence there. But not only on the source of your education, but how much time and energy do you spend on your education? And what are your hopes for your education? It's needed in order to sustain life, to have a, a get a good job, a career, and so forth. But there are within all of that temptations to invest more than what the Lord would intend you to invest. And so in that sense, you're compromising on the value of the kingdom of God and your current studies. And so think about that. In what ways have you or are you making compromises on that? Perhaps there are some that feel a need to reduce their church involvement because they feel their education demands has high demands. And that may be legitimate for a season. But if you make that a habit, and that's characterized by you, that now during these next four years or whatever number of years you are in in depth in study here, um, because you've got career goals and you've got a timeline and you want to graduate near the top of your class because you want to get a good job, and the kingdom of God takes really low priority, oh, you're still a Christian and you know, you're going to avoid sin and you're going to this, but you're immersing yourself in this advancement, I challenge you to consider that. Perhaps have you compromised somewhere just in having that value And what have you valued higher and what have you valued lower? Think about that before the Lord and how he would have you respond to that. That translates then, of course, once you go beyond that into the kind of career that you may choose and how demanding it is and how diligent you are in wanting to advance uh, in your uh, career in order to get better standing and and, uh, higher pay and benefits and and, uh, influence and, and prestige maybe in your industry and so forth. All of these are temptations to compromise because the kingdom of God is worth much more than all of these things, than any of these things. As much as we do need to yet 
earn a living. And certainly, the Lord has in place for his people to be in all sorts of careers and in all sorts of places up and down the corporate ladder. I'm not uh, discouraging any of that. It's where does God want you to be and how much energy do you have to invest compared and how much energy do you have to maybe res, um, withhold from the kingdom of God because your priorities are on something else. That is the challenge for you this evening. But maybe for you, it's not some of that. It may be other kinds of extracurricular activities. It's very popular these days for parents to enroll their children in all kinds of sporting activities to engage in various ways and develop certain skills and this and that, and it may have a certain value. But what are you compromising? And how much investment is that demanding from you? And are you running to and fro from city to city or county to county in these various sporting activities? Maybe now during the pandemic that uh, this past summer that those activities were dramatically reduced uh, because of that. But the normal activity would have families just busy in doing that sort of thing. And where's the energy then for the kingdom of God if those are the things that you have placed as value for your family or for your children? Think about that. Values for our, our finances uh, and, and uh, so forth. There's numerous other things, of course. You know, I can't provide every uh, example uh, here for that, but I encourage you to think about that. And if we look at where do these things come from, as they come from the desires of our heart that we need to constantly keep in check here. Uh, Romans 8.13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, that's kill, kill the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Colossians 3 elaborates on this a little bit further here. Same author, the Apostle Paul. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. That's to kill the fleshly desires. And then it lists all sorts of sinful uh, desires. And things to put off. And put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him, meaning God that created him. But it's not only activities and actions that we are tempted to compromise with, of course, in the things that we think about, but in other values such as virtues, virtues of love and mercy and compassion and truth and kindness. Um, These things are another category, shall we say, where maybe we realize that we fell for a temptation and treated somebody rudely. Or we had a judgmental attitude towards somebody. We, we heard about a situation and we immediately judged them as, well, they deserve that. Um, and, uh, well, if they would have only done this, that, and the other thing or made better decisions, then, then, then they wouldn't be in this predicament. And we just sort of resorted to this attitude of judgment towards a person. Well, God values mercy over judgment. And maybe it's true that to a certain degree they contributed to their situation, such as really true for all of us. We, to a certain degree, contribute 
to the situation where we are in today. We have a measure of responsibility towards that. But our response is not called to have a judgmental attitude towards one another. We treat one another with grace and mercy and kindness. And so let's think about maybe those are areas in which we have, from time to time, compromised. The bottom line is all of us have compromised somewhere along the line. Jesus is the only one who is the perfect no-compromiser. And thankfully, he is the one who offers forgiveness and provides opportunity for repentance. And so that is the answer for us to do so. When we find ourselves that we have strayed from God's ideal, from his design for our lives, we turn to Jesus in repentance, believe the message of the gospel of hope, that we don't have to stay defeated along this path of compromise, but that there is an exit, and that we take that exit, especially when he shows it to us. Like tonight, maybe there is something that in your mind that the Holy Spirit has convicted you of, of an exit on the path that you are on in order to get on more correctly to the path that Jesus wants you to be on, that he has created you for, and the calling that he has for you to fully engage in. Repent and believe the gospel. You know, quickly, uh, one other thing to point out here is uh, Daniel's, and just his demeanor in going through this, and his approach, because he had the, the, um, the resolve, but how did he exercise it? Notice here, he uh, wasn't rebellious at all in his approach. He approached the authority, recognized that there is someone in authority over here, and he respected that authority, and he requested that he would be able to uh, do this. Um, and there was a dialogue there as they shared with one another, as the, this, the supervisor here was, was open with them as, as well, yeah, but you know what, I'm accountable here, and so if I go along with your plan and it doesn't work out well, I'm responsible for that, and it's going to be on my head, not on your head. And so again, Daniel thinking, right, he's obviously uh, living up to be the people that they've selected him for, being someone that's very wise, as he's thinking through, okay, well, how can we, how can we work this out, instead of just being staunch and saying, well, I don't care about you, this is my principle, and so that's your problem, I'm just not going to eat this. He didn't approach it that way with this sort of stubborn, proud uh, attitude. He said, let's find a, a solution here. And so he took the risk, in a sense, of a risk of faith. He says, okay, let's try for 10 days. Can you, can you work with me for 10 days and see how it works? In a sense, it's like an experiment. How is this going to work out? And in a sense, Daniel was putting himself at risk, too, because, well, what's he going to look like in, the, in, in uh, 10 days? Is God, is, God, is God going to come through for these four friends and bring favor, as it says already here, that the manner in which Daniel conducted himself, as we see here, God brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. That was verse 9. God did that. How do you think Daniel participated in God working that out? In order for God to bring that about, Daniel would have needed to conduct himself in a manner consistent with what God is trying to work. And so it's the same way when God works things out in your life. Don't mess it up. Don't behave in such a way that you're working against what God is trying to set up in your life or uh, set you up for in certain areas of ministry or uh, success, shall we say, uh, for the purpose of the furtherance of the kingdom of God. God will want to do lots of great things in your life, but sometimes we make poor decisions 
and conduct ourselves in a way that kind of sabotage God's plans. Not that we can ultimately sabotage his plans in the sense because he is sovereign and ultimately he works things all out for good, uh, for the, the purposes of furthering his kingdom. But we do have a responsibility to cooperate with what God is doing. And uh, so he took this risk, shall we say, and trusted in God. And so ultimately, the path of no compromise sometimes requires, or often may require, faith, because we don't always know the outcome. As when we're faced with a particular temptation or dilemma or pressure to conform to a particular uh, situation that we know would compromise God's standards, but we might be able to be persuaded. We think, well, it's not such a big deal. Okay, I can go along with this once, um, or I'll, you know, I'll push my line of, of, uh, no compromise over here. Earlier it was here, but now I've got pressure, so okay, I'm just gonna move it a little bit over here. And be careful as we develop these patterns of where do we move our lines. But it takes faith, as if we, Daniel, had the faith, we're going to hold the line here, and we're going to trust in God for the outcome. And we see that he received God's blessing. Um, As the experiment worked in their favor, shall we say, and verse 17, we see God's blessing. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. They may not have imagined how the Lord was going to bless this situation. And the same is for us. We don't know either ahead of time how the Lord will bless it. But may we trust in faith and Walk forward and see what he will do. May the Lord bless us with these words. Amen.